There's a lot of utter nonsense about Schumann references. That there's eight of them. The frequency of the first Schumann reference is... Dr. Roland McCready. Roland is the director of research at the HeartMath Institute. He is a scientist, psychologist. I'm really curious where the conversation is going to lead. How are those uh, electromagnetic frequencies affecting us? Are they affecting us? So there are hundreds, literally hundreds of studies showing that during uh, disturbances, that there are increased hospital admissions for heart-related disorders, strokes, depression, suicide rates go up. The heart has its own brain. What does that mean? It's kind of the central theme in almost all the world's religions. And we have this in our language, right? Put your heart into it. Play with your heart. Ask your heart. Right, we don't say, I love you with all my brain, do we? When, we're, no. when we fall in love with someone, right? Well, there's a reason for that. Our research suggests that that's not just a metaphor. Nobody's asked me that question quite like that before. Welcome back, everyone, to Diary of an Empath. My next guest is Dr. Roland McCready. He's a leading figure in the field of heart-brain communication, emotions, and their profound impact on our lives. He's the executive vice president and director of the research at the HeartMath Institute, a pioneering research organization that explores fascinating connections between our hearts, our brains, and our emotions. With over three decades of dedicated research, he's made groundbreaking discoveries regarding heart-brain coherence, the role of heart in our emotional experiences, and how it connects with the Earth's electromagnetic field known as the Schumann resonances, which we're going to talk about, and how it influences our well-being. His work has not only reshaped our understanding of the human experience, but has also provided practical tools and techniques to enhance our resilience, emotional health, and overall quality of life. Dr. McCready, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's uh, great to be here. So I got to tell you how I found you. I have been on this kick of like self-help and spirituality and understanding energy for a long time. And I kept, and I'm sure you've heard of this, I kept hearing of these things on TikTok called, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, the Schumann resonances. And everybody was saying how there's all these spikes and all of these uh, um collective consciousness and rising of vibrations happening. And so I ended up coming across one of your videos and I found it so intriguing. So before we get into that, because I really want to get some insight on what these are, but I want to understand you and your background. What do I need to understand about your mission and what you do and why it's important to you to understand who I'm talking to? Okay. Um, Nobody's asked me that question quite like that before. <laughs> um, well, our mission ultimately is to um, help or facilitate the shift in planetary consciousness uh, from a, you know its current state of discord uh, to a to basically a higher vibrational state, and um, to really help um, awaken the heart of humanity. I love that. And how did you end up getting into this field? with the HeartMath Institute. I'm just curious of your background because it's a very unique field to be in. I mean, you could have done anything. You could have been a therapist, a counselor. Why this? Yeah, uh, well, that's kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll try and make it really short so that most okay. of our time is spent on the other question. <laughs> My original um, career was communication engineering. Uh, I just worked for Motorola, you know, so know a fair amount about how to use uh, electromagnetic fields and all that to carry information around the planet. Uh, it's kind of what I did professionally for a long time. But even before that, I always had a curiosity because I just came into the planet with it um, about how things work and would always ask or was curious about, well, what really is a magnetic field or an electric field? These types of questions. And it would ask professors and so on that, you know, when I was in college and stuff and, and, uh, the answer was usually, well, here's the formula that describes their behavior. You know, I'm saying, no, no, no. Uh, I want to know what it is, you know, um, not how it behaves. I know that. And I got that. Uh, no, don't ask that. <laughs> it was kind of the, the, the tone of, of the answer. kind of frustrated some of the folks I would ask because I kept pushing on it. Anyway, that led me to um, that curiosity um, to, to explore different perspectives on it. And I ran across a book and I a bookstore once and and would uh which had some different perspectives on on this kind of some deeper i i would say deeper uh insights 
which led me eventually, long story short, to move to California and get a degree in consciousness studies. Uh, this is in the late 1970s. So I, I can tell I'm getting to be an old fart here. Through that organization, people I met there helped, uh, uh, actually started and ran a company, what wasn't my company, but was the manager of it, uh, that introduced Spirulina to the world. And um, which is a, you know, then the motive of that was really helping to feed the world's hungry populations and all that. So I kind of got the humanitarian thing going. And long story short, we were actually pulled that off, built a big, you know, this demonstration plant in the Southern California, the deserts to show that you could really do it. It didn't go anywhere. And I realized then, um, in hindsight, that's what I would say my idealism bubble got popped. <clears throat> Because we had the technology, you know, and this way ahead of our time, you know, big solar powered spray dryers and fields in the desert. Because it was really blocked at political levels. And that's when I, it really hit, hit me and in, in much from a more from a conceptual to a really felt understanding that it really is a problem in consciousness. That, you know, we would say that, you know, it's about consciousness, but when you go through something like that, then you know that, no, it really is. So the heck with this humanitarian stuff, I'm going to go make money again and started a company in, uh, in my original field. And in this case, a little, a little different, but, but based in that electrostatics and became very successful and, you know, plenty of sports cars in the driveway and all that. And, uh, but there was a deeper yearning still in my heart, I guess. And uh, that's when I met Doc Childry, who's the founder of HeartMath through, through some friends and, and um, spent some time with him and, and what his work had been on the different perspective on the heart, not as a metaphor, but actually as the real bridge to our, our higher self or larger self, whatever you want to call it, soul, spirit. Um, so I tried some of, of that and uh, went through my own awakening, heart awakening uh, through that, that process. So I sold that company and uh, joined with Doc and some others to, and helped him found HeartMath. Do you find, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Do you find that, when you made that leap, because I, you know, a lot of people they say like, okay, I want, I want the cars, I want the big house, I mm -hmm. want, 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 and when I get those things, I'm gonna be happy and I'm gonna be fulfilled. But what's interesting is when I talk to people who are really successful in like mm -hmm. these big companies or you know make a lot of money, I find that a lot of them did not find fulfillment when they got right. there. Did you feel like you had more fulfillment once you were doing things that made a difference? Once you went to like what the heart bath uh, center, yeah. did you find more fulfillment there? Yeah, I, I did. And I still do. And I, I don't regret any of the, the choices I make. I have, I have made, and you know, there's a lot of research on happiness. You've probably interviewed people on it and it's not the things that we chase, especially when we're younger in life that we think is going to make us happy and fulfilled, you know, money, you know, relationships, um, and so on. Uh, but at the same time, Hey, you know, I had a great time through that era. Don't get me wrong. It, it was fun having a, you know, a, a rapidly expanding, growing business and, uh, being able to have the resources to do whatever I wanted more or less. And, uh, uh but it, but it wasn't uh, for me anyway, that deeper, what I guess I would say now I understand the, my blueprint or my personal mission you know, this time around on the planet. And uh, so I think being in alignment with that, being more aligned with who we really are and what our real purpose is, is where the real deeper fulfillment comes from and the security to know that we can handle whatever comes our way um, is really where that deeper fulfillment uh, comes from. So let's talk about Schumann resonances. Um, I hope I'm saying this right. Yeah, I, okay, perfect. So there's probably a lot of people listening that are like, what? I have no idea. have never heard the term. So let's just start there because I, I think that this concept of energy is something that was very foreign to me when I had my spiritual awakening. And I'm a very clinical person because I'm a therapist. I'm so I have that clinical mindset. Mm -hmm. I always need the, um, the evidence behind what I believe in, which is why religion and, and that was always very difficult for me. But when I got into um, these, this energy concept, it almost was like a light bulb went off to me and understanding frequency. So let's just start there with the basics. What is the Schumann resonances and what, what do they do? Okay. Well, I'll start there, but it's usually where I wouldn't start. 
bit. Okay. Well, um, where would you start? Well, well but let's, let's start. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Let me ask you a question first, if I may. Sure. Uh, why, why are you so curious about Schumann references? What got you intrigued? Why are you asking me about that? So I have this fascination with energy and you know, for me, energy is very real. Well, we know it. It's scientifically sure. proven. We know that it's there. Um, but I feel energy. And I also do readings for people. And I think when I started doing that, I actually started to really get, I guess, clinical proof behind what I was doing was very real and, you know, getting the feedback from people. And it just made me understand that frequencies can affect the way that we behave. Um, I noticed that when I would go outside and I would ground that it would neutralize, you know, like my heart rhythms and that I was able to control how my nervous system reacted. And, you know, when I would think about the moon and how the the moon affects the tides, you know, all of this stuff to me was very connected. So when I found out about the Schumann resonances, I was like, that just, it makes sense to me. But I also know that a lot of people I feel like may not fully understand it and may take their own your yeah. own definitions okay. to it. All right. Okay. So, um, Schumann resonances, and there's a, and I'm going to start with this by saying that there is a lot of utter nonsense that certain that tends to circulate in social media about seems about every two years about Schumann resonances, and I can say that with confidence because um, we have a one of the projects here at the HeartMath Institute that we launched. I forget how long ago, probably. 15 or more years ago called the Global um, Coherence Initiative is really about the study of the interaction between us humans or humanity and the energetic environment that we all live in of, of the earth. And the and when I'm talking about energetic environment, in this case, I'm talking about magnetic, the magnetic fields. So most, I'm going to, I'll get there with human resonances, but I'm going to start with, um, we, so we live, we all live within magnetic fields of the earth. You know, we all learned probably in grade school or somewhere along the way about um, the Earth's magnetic field. You know, the North Pole, the South Pole, you know, what a compass tunes into, right? So that's uh, a, mag- a magnetic field. In this case, it's a pure magnetic field, kind of like a refrigerator magnet. You know, you stick it on your refrigerator and it's that field's a static field. And most people um, in science class somewhere along the way got to dump iron filings on a glass plate and you put your magnet under it and it kind of, the iron filings dance around and show you the shape of the field, whether it's a horseshoe or bar magnet or, or whatever. But if you recall, those little iron filings lined up in parallel lines, right? Whatever the shape of the field was. And that, is uh, that simple little experiment is also letting us visualize and see what are called magnetic field lines. You know, they're real things. And the what I actually didn't learn then, and actually even as a communications engineer, using magnetic fields to bounce information all around the world, I mean, that's what I did professionally, didn't know until later in my career that magnetic field lines can act like guitar strings or any stringed instrument. You can pluck them and they vibrate. So they then uh, just like uh, so the north south north south pole we have very long magnetic field lines right going out in space many you know, thousands of miles and so they're very long and the length of just like on a guitar I'll just use guitar but any stringed instrument the length of the string and the tension of it determines its resonant frequency or the note that we play so you change the length when you put your fingers on the fret you know and change the length you change the frequency. The vibrate, how many vibrations, you know, in a given second. So what's plucking the, so magnetic fields of the earth work the same way. And what's plucking the strings and causing them to vibrate is the solar wind rushing by. You know, earth is turning, you have the solar wind, a million miles per hour on a quiet day. Uh, sun is turning, earth is turning. So there's this dynamic interaction. So the plucking of the field lines are called field line resonances. Okay. They actually have a name for them in the, They've been uh, been known. Now, the one of the primary resonant frequencies of Earth, Earth's field line resonances, is in frequency language, a frequency of 0.1 hertz. So it's below a hertz, so it's more than a second. That's what that means. So it turns out these field line resonances are 
all of them are within the same frequency range as the as human and, and animals do. We all have the same basic physiological rhythms. Um, the same rhythm as when we're in a what we call a heart coherent state or a coherent heart rhythm. It's exactly the same or right in that same range. And these are quite strong magnetically speaking. So this is a mechanism that um, where well, okay, but I'm going to pause and just say, okay, understand that. So these are quite strong, magnetically speaking, these field line resonances. Now, Schumann resonances are a completely different mechanism. But I wanted to start there because New Age and stuff is all in glamour to Schumann resonances, missing the whole boat about the field line resonances, which are actually quite much, quite different and a lot stronger, magnetically speaking. So the Schumann resonances are much smaller in magnitude, uh, the amplitude of them. Than the field line resonances. Now these are a, a completely different mechanism, and these are magnetic waves again that are bouncing between the surface of the Earth and the bottom of the ionosphere. Now, the, for people who aren't familiar with uh, some of these um, geomagnetic terms and Earth science, the ionosphere you can think of as a soap like a soap bubble around the planet. It starts about fifty miles up from the, the surface of the Earth, and it's a layer of highly ionized gases, uh, it's called plasma, um, and which is the fourth state of matter in physics, by the way. And pl plasmas have some pretty special and unique properties, um, like neon signs, right? The, that's a plasma inside, right? So um, one of the properties of um, this, the ionosphere uh, is that it's like a mirror to magnetic wave, lower frequency magnetic waves, they, they bounce off of it. So this is how ham, you know, ham or amateur radio operators. I don't know if you're familiar with them. That you know, that's how that works. You send your radio signal up, or in basic communications as well, you send your radio signal up. It hits the ionosphere and bounces off. So this is how somebody in the United States is talking to people in England or China, right? You're bouncing your signal off the ionosphere, or you get a second bounce, and now you're talking to people in South Africa or Australia, things like that, if you're in the United States. So uh, this is pretty well known in communications, right? And But other, um, when magnetic waves get created in this, it's a cavity, think of it, right? Between the earth and, and the bottom of the ionosphere. And so the magnetic waves that get created in this cavity, if they fit the geometry, right, of the cavity, the, re the resonance of the cavity, they, be, they become amplified and are called what are called standing waves. It just means they're everywhere all, all the time. If they don't fit the geometry, they quickly dissipate and go away. So these are what are called Schumann resonances. And they're called Schumann resonances after a German mathematician who predicted their existence. So that's why they got called, they're just named after him because he modeled them and mathematically and predicted them. Um, and they weren't for experimentally measured until late 1959, early 1960 was the first time they were actually measured. Not that long ago, right? In my lifetime, certainly. I was a kid then. And so there's still um, things to understand about them. But there's eight of them. The first one, uh, the frequency of the first human resonance is 7.83 hertz. So when they were first, uh, first measured, it was immediately recognized that that's the same frequency as one of the human brainwaves, right? It's kind of, the, it, you know, there's different brainwave frequencies. A lot of people, people have heard of alpha and beta and theta, and these, these are different names for frequency bands of our brain, brain activity, uh, the waves that they're creating. So 7.83 hertz is right in that sweet spot between, what well, depends on which system you, you, you use, but between low alpha and theta, kind of an important human brainwave frequency. Um, especially for relaxation or creativity, things like this. Um, but there's eight human resonances, and a lot of people that just get into this um, at a peripheral level don't really understand it, don't know that. They just know there's about the first one. That, but all eight human resonances overlap human brainwave frequencies. So this was, for, this was immediately recognized when they were first measured in 1960, right? And so a lot of experiments have happened, um, so what, let me back up now. What I'm just telling you is, we live in, in a we live within magnetic fields. Even if you're on the space station, you're still within them. Right? You can't you'd be past the, the uh, Schumann resonances. But the 
and they are overlapping. The two fundamental rhythms of Earth overlap our heart rhythms and our brain waves. Heart rhythms are the big ones. Human resonance is the small ones, which actually mirrors our physiology. The heart produces by far the biggest magnetic field in our body, which you can measure many feet outside the body with a device called a magnetometer. You measure brain waves is about an inch. Now, I, whether it means anything, I don't know. It's the same kind of ratio with Earth and us. You know, the frequencies that are heart, big, brainwave, small in comparison. So the here's the important thing to understand. The Schumann res the frequency of the Schumann resonances are completely controlled or determined by the dimensions, the geometry of that cavity, the ionosphere earth cavity. Right? And I, I can say this with confidence because we have a, a global network it's called the Global Coherence Monitoring System of magnetometers that are specifically designed to measure the resonant frequencies in the Earth's, in the Earth. So we have these sites, and they're, I wish we didn't have to do this ourselves because they're very expensive and very hard to find the good locations for them. But we have sites, one, one here in California, where I'm in our property, northern Canada, Lithuania, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, New Zealand. And I'm probably forgetting some, but so you get a, it's a global, the only the only network in the world that I know of that is a, a calibrated, time synchronized system that, that's really measuring globally the magnetic resonances of, of the Earth. And of course, we're doing that from a research perspective. You know, we're measuring people, right? Long term studies of people and our heart rhythms and this thing to see, to look at the interconnectivity the real interconnectivity between the energetic environment we live in and, and our physiological rhythms. So there's always this stuff that's coming out on social media. Uh, the Schumann resonances are increasing. Or for the first time ever, we've measured 30 hertz. And I read this stuff and I go, oh, come on. Um, you know, the, the, the first time ever, no, you just have a, you know, a, a not a very good magnetometer, but it's, you know, and you used to, you saw a peak in a frequency that's always been there, been measured since 1960. Um, Schumann resonances are not changing. They have, they're the same as they were when they were first measured. Um, now they can temporarily be changed. Like if the earth gets hit with a solar flare, for example, and that temporarily changes the density or kind of pushes the ionosphere in on one side of the planet and pulls it out on the other side, these kind of things, that will temporarily change the frequencies because you've changed the geometry, the dimensions of the ionosphere Earth cavity. But then they quickly come right back to their base frequency. And we don't want them to change. This would not be good for us because they they are the same. We, we there is a, they, they are, Don't misunderstand me because I'm not saying they're not important. Because uh, I'm, what I'm saying is that, or suggesting in our research, is that yes, we are affected by the, the magnetic rhythms we live in, not just Schumann resonances, the field line resonances, probably even more importantly, and the Schumann resonances. And it is a bi-directional um, system we live in. We're affected by the fields, but we are also affecting or adding information on the fields. They're carrying the, the, our thoughts, our emotions are all radiated and in, in coupled to the fields, is what I'm suggesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if if what you're saying is that these Schumann resonances naturally they've been doing these these same spikes, it's it's normal. It's not really raising human consciousness, but there's an understanding and an acceptance of a connection between our emotions, our physiology, our our, our bodies, and the Schumann resonances. What's that connection? How is how are those uh, electromagnetic frequencies affecting us? Are they affecting us? Did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a coach and a professional tarot reader? Now, it's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball telling your future. It's a way to connect with your guides on life issues such as career and love and spirituality. And sometimes people need one-on-one -on -one coaching to help them through breakups, toxic relationships, healing the mother wound, their spiritual path, or navigating tools as an empath. So I do all of these things to help my clients pursue life and decisions and understand themselves. So if you are interested in one-on-one -on -one coaching or a tarot reading, click the link below to get started. Okay, back to the podcast. Yeah, well, well clearly they affect us. There are hundreds of studies that um, show that the magnetic environment of the planet that we live in have effects on us. 
Now, different people have different levels of sensitivity um, to, to those kinds of effects. But in general, we, and this, it, this just kind of makes intuitive common sense, I think, that the field environment we live in, when it's stable, coherent, in resonance with our physiological rhythms, that's a good thing. When those fields get disturbed, we don't like that. So there are hundred, literally hundreds of studies showing that during uh, disturbances, uh, disturbed field times, that there are increased hospital admissions for about everything you can think of, right? But especially heart-related uh, disorders, um, strokes, some brain-type uh, issues as well. But especially increases in things like depression, like suicide rates go up during the disturbance and so on. Uh, so it's really our mental and emotional that's affected the most. People don't sleep as well, for example. We're easy, we either uh, we, uh, get triggered easier. You know, things that normally would be no big deal, suddenly they, we add drama and significance to them and these types of things during a, a disturbed uh, time period. So most of the studies historically done have, have looked at uh, what's called a measure of KP index. It's as a, it's a measure of magnetic field disturbance. And things like hospital admissions and things, because it's the only because it's the only thing they had data from, you know, KP index is disturbance, and you know it's pretty easy to get if you're a researcher to get re, um, access to hospital admission records, things like that, you know, traffic accidents, this kind of stuff. However, what our studies are showing, because we now have something that um, a, a global system for measuring the resonant frequencies, KP index is just disturbance of the field, it doesn't tell you what the resonant frequencies are. So we're a, a very different pictures now emerging. And to make a very long story short, what our, our studies are finding is that our physiological rhythms are, are, are over a longer, slower rhythm are actually synchronized to the resonant frequencies in the Earth's fields. And more and more studies are showing how that's a good thing, right? And it starts, starts to make sense when they're disturbed that we're out of resonance that uh, we don't do so well, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, yes, I do, definitely do, but I, I need to divorce this from the Schumann resonance and magnetic resonant discussion. There are two different things. And that's one of the things that drives me crazy on, on the social media stuff when these people come out saying, the Schumann resonances are increasing, that means our consciousness frequency is increasing. No, that's nonsense. Um, but that, so what you're talking about now really has to do, we could call it our, our growth, our maturity, our ability to be connected to who we really are, that inner security, self-regulate ourselves. Um, so in our, our certification, our training programs, we talk a lot about raising your vibration in our, our more um, current programs because the world's ready for that language to, to understand that. So now we're talking about, ultimately we're talking about um, the vibration of our consciousness or our awareness as we become more aware, more conscious that is associated with an increased vibrational consciousness frequency. Now, this is, the problem here is that we can't really measure that yet. Not directly, anyway. You, you can't stick a probe in somebody's brain and measure their, their vibration of their consciousness or their awareness. You, know, you can't put a thought under a microscope, right? Or an emotion or an intuition. Um, so we have to look at physiological correlations to those things when we're right. So, you know, as we, you know, let me, let me take this a different angle on this. So what our, our research suggests and my mine and many others experience is that, and this is not going to be new. I mean, this has been around forever. Uh, we're, we're, heart math is just adding some simple how to's to it. But the, what I'm going to suggest is that we have two hearts, physical heart and what's called the, we call the energetic heart. Right. Also, it's been called the spiritual heart for millennia. Um, and, and it's kind of the central theme in almost all the world's religions, right? The heart is the access point to 
you know, courage or wisdom, um, these types of things. And, and we have this in our language, right? Put your heart into it. Play with your heart. Ask your heart, you know. Um, well, our research suggests that that's not just a metaphor. So that what I'm really saying here is that the energetic heart is a real thing with real structure. It's just in a vibrational dimension. Um, but not as not a metaphor. And it is the bridge to our larger self or our higher self. We just, I like larger self because it takes it out of religion or new age. Um, and that that's that bridge to our, the, uh, uh, our undivided wholeness, the energetic system and our physical that we manifest in this dimension of density here on earth. It's so fascinating. Does that make sense? It does. I know my, my, my curiosity is just a tenfold right now. And I, I, I think what you're saying does make sense because it's it, as a researcher, as somebody who's comes from a clinical background, you do have to be able to measure things. And I think that we may have an awareness that these things exist, but maybe not have the ability to measure certain outcomes yet. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen in the future. No. So when we're talking about the heart and the importance of the heart and that heart brain connection. I hear this term that the heart has its own brain. What does that mean? What is that connection that the heart has and what role does it play? Well, it, when you say that the heart has its own brain, it means exactly that. And there's uh, the field that studies this is called neural cardiology. And this, we, we could spend a whole interview talking about this, but, uh, the, the heart does, in fact, have its own intrinsic, the technical term is the intrinsic cardiac nervous system. So this, these are neural structures, neural ganglia around the heart. And then within the heart are uh, about 40,000, 50,000 sensory neurons that send information into the intrinsic the, uh, nervous system of the heart, or nicknamed the heart brain. And it was the field of neurocardiology, the, one of the leading neurocardiology researchers, that coined the term heart brain. That wasn't me. Uh, give him uh, credit for that. So the, the heart actually sends far more information through our nervous system to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. And this is not necessarily new either. Uh, that, that has actually been known. This is basic anatomy uh, since the late 1800s. And that was actually well understood. And it was a very important consideration in the, the founding of psychology. William James, for example, if you're a psychologist, you know William James. and He way understood this. And it was part of that. And that was the dominant understanding until the late 1920s, early 30s, uh, when it all became about the brain, right? And we forgot about the afferent or the ascending information from the body. And then that paradigm finally came back into more of a, a, a balanced perspective, really starting in the 1970s with a particular research group that... Uh, it, was finding that, and so at that time, that in that paradigm, kind of a call of a sort of an ancient modern paradigm, that the brain—it's all about the brain. The body's just there to carry the head around, right? Nobody believes that anymore. But that was the paradigm for a long time until around the, in the seventies. And what started that paradigm shifting back to a, a more holistic or balanced one was discoveries that. So at that time, the, the, if it's all about the brain, the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, just wires that the brain's telling the body what to do, right? Well, these, this particular research group found that the heart in particular uh, was not obeying the, the messages from the brain. In fact, if you look at their old, the writings of that era, their, their papers, they're literally using terms like the heart is acting like it has a mind of its own. Well, it does, of sorts. But they didn't know that then. They didn't know about the intrinsic cardiac nervous system and the heart brain um, and its neural structure. So we, we now know this, for example, these, this neural system in the heart, the heart brain has its long-term memory, short-term memory, neuroplasticity, neurogenesis, all the things to, to truly say it is a functional brain in the heart, right? Uh, I'm not saying that the, the heart brain is just trying to remember what grandma's face looks like. But it has to have a heart has to have a functional type of memory to do what it does, and to um, to regulate itself. But what the, this um, research group found in the seventies, they introduced two terms that are important for this discussion to describe the effect that the heart was having on the brain, depending upon the type of signals it was sending to, from the heart to the brain, that they could measure. They could see that in the uh, the effects. 
and those were called cortical inhibition, right? Inhibiting the cortex, right? Or cortical facilitation. And even in their data back then, although they didn't talk a lot about it, they were finding that the heart somehow knew ahead of time what the next activity the brain needed to be involved in to help facilitate or, you know, guide it to what its next action was. And we followed up on that and went a lot deeper in it. And have actually showed that in terms of intuition or non-local intuition, that the heart gets the signal first, sends a different neural message to the brain, then the brain responds all before the future event happens. So the heart's first, then brain, then body. So we call it the gut feeling, but it's really heart first. I'm, I'm kind of rambling here to try and weave a story no, together for you. I hear you. That's interesting. Um, so, you know, the way I got those studies published back in, uh, this was the late, later, late nineties was to in scientific peer reviewed publications. And I said that the heart appears to have access to a field of information outside the boundaries of time and space. Okay. So in that, at that time in science, that era, that was perfectly acceptable language. Just things like non-locality and entanglement had been experimentally proven. Right. It just wasn't supposed to happen at, you know, large scales like atoms and organs that we now know that that that's been blown past in, in quantum physics. They've shown entanglement and non-locality and, you know, large scale macroscopic systems, not just subatomic. So we just showed it physiological before that uh, was happening. That's so fascinating. You know, it's funny because like I'm a very intuitive person. I, I've always just known certain things either before they happen or I'm really keen on picking up things, uh, people around me. And whenever I get these intuitive, strong feelings, I always tell my clients too, like, where do you feel it in your body? And it always is in the center of the chest. I always feel it kind of like in the center or like right there, like right below the center. It's kind of like that, that sensation that I get right when I know intuitively that something is right for me or something that's wrong for me. I feel it to my core in my chest and it is strong. So it's so interesting when you say that our heart has its own brain and it literally has its own um, magnetic field almost. Is that how you would well, describe well, well, okay. it? That, yeah, yes, it does. So that's a different angle on what we're talking about, but let's okay. go there, Ben. You said that. Okay. So when we put electrodes on across the chest to measure the electrocardiogram, right? Why is it called the electrocardiogram? We're measuring electricity, right? Current flow, literally. Or we put electrodes on the brain, right? You're, you're still measuring current flow. That's what the electrodes see. It's the flow of current. But physics 101, whenever you have a flow of electrical current, you create a magnetic field. Now, electric fields and magnetic fields are different animals. They're different things. We call it electromagnetism because one can make the other, you know, because um, they are intertwined, fundamentally intertwined. So the electrodes don't see the magnetic field that's generated by that current flow. For that, you need a different device called a magnetometer. I kind of alluded to this earlier in the conversation. So one of the qualities of magnetic fields is they go through things. Now, if you don't believe me, stop using your cell phone indoors. Okay. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it used to be that people would say, oh, that's not, not true, blah, 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 blah. I don't hear that anymore because, you know, because uh, every major, larger hospital has what are called MCGs, magnetocardiograms, that you never touch the body. You have sensors around it that measures the magnetic field. And to, for, I won't go into the medical reasons, but it gives you more precise information about what's going on. So, these fields, we are literally radiating every time the heart beats a magnetic pulse, a field. Hmm. And with magnetometers, sensitive magnetometers, you can measure the heart's field, feet from the number of feet from the body. You can measure a brainwave about an inch using the same instrument. Interesting. So when we're talking energetics, magnetic slash energetics, the heart is by far the big player in our wow. physiology. So I can measure your electrocardiogram on your toe, right into your nose, anywhere in the body that signal um, is a synchronizing signal for the whole body and it's also radiating fields out in, into the space around us now some of our again going back to the 90s we were able to show this is where my communications engineering background really came was very handy right mm -hmm. it's using almost the same techniques that i used to use in my communications days to demodulate or decode the information being carried by a field your voice your text whatever mm -hmm. radio stations so on 
you can we use that to show that the field of the heart was carrying information. Now it's probably a lot of information that we don't understand yet, but for sure about our emotional state that we've we've published and shown. So what what I'm saying there um, is that what we feel inside our emotions are, don't stop at the skin. We are literally broadcasting them. In fact, we can stick a probe out here, measure the field, and tell with about 75% accuracy what you're feeling. Whatever you're putting on your face, right? Or trying to, right? Now, the next step in that was, okay, well, that's neat. So what? Does, does that matter? Uh, so that was a relatively easy next step to ask the question, does it affect other people? Do, do our nervous systems also, we know we're radiating them, but do our nervous systems also act like big antennas? Yes. That detect those fields? Mm -hmm. Yes. That was yes. actually an easy experiment to do. I love that. As an empath, you know what I'm talking mm -hmm. about. Um, so I, it, we, I, I define three types of intuition, by the way, and one of them is energetic sensitivity, which is the sensitivity to very real measurable fields from the environment, right? Like fields from other people. In fact, I would say empathy is in that category, real empathy, is our nervous system's ability to detect the frequencies, because they really are <laughs> vibrational frequencies being, being carried by the field, the heart's field. And our, our physiology can detect and decode those signals. And again, some people have way more sensitivity to that kind of information than others. You know, uh, women in general tend to be more sensitive to, to these things than men, but not always, not in all cases. Um, so other examples, we can feel, some people can feel earthquakes coming. I have a couple friends who have that sensitivity. But we, we now know through our G magnetic monitoring systems, we can see changes in the magnetic fields of the earth prior to earthquakes. So our, in that case, you're feeling those changes. Your, your nervous system's detecting them. And you've learned to pattern match that particular change to earthquake, let's say. Right? Or for some people, it might be you're detecting that. That means somebody's staring at me. Right? You turn around there, sure enough. You know, and so on. Right? Does this help or does this make sense? Oh no, no, it's it's very validating because for me, I like I love that that scientific background and I've always had and understood the concept that yes, this is my belief system, but it's very real and measurable. I mean, think about it. Like 200 years ago, the concept of me and you having this conversation right now through a screen would be like witchcraft, like unheard yeah. of. And, you know, yeah. we understand now that it's very feasible, but it's through energy. Everything mm -hmm. is energy. So to me, it makes complete sense that we would have an energetic field. What I found was very interesting when I started um, learning more and getting diver, getting deeper into my health and diving deep into my health is understanding my heart, um, how it affects me and this thing called HRV. I had no idea what this HRV was until recently, about a couple of months ago, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about HRV levels and why they're important. So of course I hopped on the wagon of let me get a Fitbit and let me measure my HRV. I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. What is HRV and why is it important? Okay. Yeah. And I'm Good question, because it's that's usually where we would start in these kind of conversations. Okay. <laughs> end up with human references. So okay, maybe. perfect. So, you know, well, I think about everybody knows what heart rate is, right? How many times does the heart beat in a minute? Beats per minute, right? But in reality, especially in a healthy person, well-balanced person, um, our heart rate changes with each and every heartbeat. So what this means is that if you measure the time between a pair of heartbeats, and then the next pair of heartbeats, and the next pair of heartbeats, that time between each pair is always changing, right? That's called heart rate variability, beat to beat variability. So if you look at it on most heart rate monitors, that, that gets averaged out, so it looks kind of like a flat line, but that's not the truth of what's actually happening. And so this is what creates our heart rhythm, right? So if, if, if the time between each pair of heartbeats is always the same, that you, you would have no heart rhythm. And the heart rhythm is always going up and down and fluctuating and changing, which is actually reflecting the activity in our nervous system. This is a whole hour conversation just to unpack what I'm saying now. And so the intrinsic cardiac nervous system and the heart and the brain and all that is the source of this variability. It's that communication between the heart and brain. 
is really where it comes from. And there's different mechanisms in the body that are reflected in the, in the different frequencies, literally in rhythms of the heart rhythm. So there's a rhythm associated with our breathing frequency. There's a rhythm that's created by the heart itself that's in the HRV. Um, there's blood pressure control rhythms that are in the HRV. Anyway, it's a, it's a, HRV is one of the things that's really kind of simple, or you can spend your entire career trying to understand it. It has that breadth of, of depth. Now, like what you were talking about with the Fitbits and Apple Watches and so on, that have all now included HRV because of a, a lot of us actually, our, our original basic research uh, is, is kind of led. We were the first to actually create a consumer level HRV device, um, kind of created this industry in a way, well, very real way. But the so the amount of heart rate variability we have, this natural intrinsic variability, is we have more of it when we're young and it gets less as we age. So it's actually one of the best physiological measures of aging. And if, if we're depleting our, our systems, you know, expending more energy than we're recovering, and we do that long enough, weeks, months, long term, that ends up in lowering the amount of heart rate variability we should have for our age. Now, that's really important because that is a strong and independent risk factor for more serious health problems in the future. So low, low age-related HRV is, is correlated to every major disease there is. You can't name one that, wouldn't, that probably doesn't show a, a relationship of reduced HRV. So the how much HRV is, an important, is important. And that's what you know, the Fitbits and Aura Rings and peripheral products now measure. However, there's a much deeper and even more important aspect of HRV than the how much question, because that changes slowly. I mean, it takes you know, over years, right? months and years, well, actually years, not months. And that is the, what does the pattern of the rhythm look like? Okay. Is it a chaotic looking rhythm or is it a smooth uh, rolling hills kind of pattern in the, in the heart's rhythm? Now, because this is now reflecting something much deeper than the how much. It quite literally is measuring or reflecting the degree of synchronization or synchronized activity in our higher brain and systems in our nervous system. And this is what we call incoherence and coherence. Coherent rhythms are uh, coherent heart rhythms or incoherent heart rhythms. And this is what all of the, the Fitbits and stuff don't do, don't measure. They're measuring the how much. So the, the heart math devices are really, um, they don't tell you how much. Well, some do, but most of them are really designed to measure how coherent is the rhythm. How in sync are we, right? Because when we get the activity in our brain and nervous system in sync, that's really the, the, the highest state of optimal function where we can clear the mental fog, where we can uh, self-regulate better, make better choices, feel better, right? Because it's the rhythms of the heart. How I mentioned it goes to the brain, right? More to the brain. Well, those go directly to the emotional centers in the brain that are informing the brain, right, of how the body feels, Interesting. Cause like right, so we much don't say I love you with all my brain, do we? When we're no. falling in love with someone, right? Well, there's no. a reason for that. So my HRV is usually like around 36 to 38. So I'm, I'm 38 years old for reference. And I always get nervous that it's too low because I am, I, I have a lot of stuff going on. I, I'm a workaholic and I always try to find ways of raising my HRV. Is that possible? Can, so if we have like a well, lower HRV, can we raise it? Ah, uh, boy, this gets into a longer discussion. But <laughs> the short sort, version. Sort of, sort, sort of. So there's, if you really want to measure how much, the how much question, which is what you're asking, that really should be done over 24 hours with an ambulatory recorder. That's the gold standard. So these little one minute, five minute snapshots, yeah, kind of meaningless from, you know, um, from my perspective. And the, okay. you know, it gets kind of complicated. It's simple, but complicated. Um, the, what's really more important is energy management and, and practicing coherence. So what I would say that we certainly see examples of, if you have low HRV, lower HRV than you should, that can often be recovered back to normal, right? Through self-regulation practices, emotional management, you know, or making, you know, lifestyle choices, but those are kind of small in comparison to really managing our emotions. Because mm -hmm. it's the emotions that run the show in our physiology. Yes. Not thoughts. And that, that's so easy to prove here in the lab. And if we're constantly worried 
anxious, adding drama and significance to all the little things. That's utilizing energy. That's so that's using more. Your word, um, basically energy that drains us. And if we do that long enough, weeks, months, years, that's what depletes HRV or or a clinical disease like diabetes or something like that would be another reason that HRV drops. But for most people that have low HRV, it's not. It's because of uh, mismanaged emotions. Mm. The importance of of trying to de-stress is so, so out there. I mean, we could literally go on about this. We need to have a part two. Okay. So for those that are intrigued and want to learn more about your research and what, and the important work that you're doing, where can people find you and where would, I'm going to link everything, but where could people go to learn more about these types of important topics? Yeah. Heartmath.org. .org. Heartmath.org. Okay. So we're going to link that. I have a closing tradition on the podcast and I like to ask a question from a card of decks that I have, uh, a deck of cards that I have. Um, I don't always know what comes out. I just kind of let it happen naturally. And uh, let's see what the cards say. And Uh-oh. we'll, I what, know. <laughs> what do the cards have in store for me? What do they have in store? Okay. All right. So, oh, okay. This is a good one. What if you were a magician? And you can solve any problem in the world. What problem would you solve? Separation. Well, separation, the separation between people and their own larger self, their higher self and that inner guidance system. And with each other is by far the biggest issue we have on planet Earth. It's the primary problem. Um, it's not climate change. It's not, you know, all the things we think it is because those problems could easily be solved if we could get past the separate, the the things that separate us from our own larger intelligence and each other. Well, Dr. McCready, thank you so much for all the research that you're doing, all of your work that you've been putting into. This is such an important, important field that I think is just going to get bigger and more expansive. So I'm just so um, grateful and humbled that you came on the show and shared your wisdom and your knowledge with my audience. And I look forward to seeing all the work that you you do in the future. And I just want to thank you again for coming on. All right. Well, take, wait, take, take care. And I enjoyed uh, meeting you and hanging out for an hour or so with you. Yes. Likewise. Likewise.